What would you do if you knew anything was possible for you? My name is Holly Moore and I started an events company 10 years ago from scratch at my dining room table. Join me over the next few weeks and hopefully at the end of it, you will see why anything truly is possible for you. Welcome to the final episode of series one of the Anything is Possible podcast. Throughout the series, we've touched on mental health and in particular OCD. I've shared a little bit of my journey that at 29, I was diagnosed with severe OCD. I had a five-year battle and finally was in the care of Dr. Pa- Costas Papagiorgio at the Priory Clinic in Altrincham. I was able to undergo groundbreaking treatment and 12 years ago became completely OCD free and no medication. Through the podcast, I have touched on what happened to me, but I always believe in bringing messages to life with other people's stories. So today, and I don't think 29-year-old me would have believed this, but I am sat with Dr. Costas Papagiorgio and his recovered patient, Steve Turnock. So I'm going to just begin the podcast by, I guess, um, busting some of the myths around OCD. I believe passionately it's misrepresented in the media, which leads to misdiagnosis and also a lot of people not being treated and not talking about it. So to start the podcast, I thought, well, my team at Make Events represent quite a wide demographic of the population. So I asked them what they thought OCD was and what it meant to them. So a person who is organized to the extreme, someone who is always needs everything in order or to look a certain way, someone that thinks a lot about cleaning, Someone wanting things in a certain way to feel comfortable. They need control and security. OCD is where you rely on certain things in order to feel accomplished and to be able to move forward. So (laughs) welcome to Costas and Steve today. Um, What I'd really like to start off with, um, just maybe Costas, you can do this. What would you, what is kind of the dictionary definition of OCD? Okay, well, first of all, Holly, thank you very much for inviting me to contribute to your uh, podcast series. Um, I think a lot of the definitions that you uh, cited there are really consistent with what we know clinically or technically as as, uh, obsessive compulsive disorder. But the obvious thing to, to do is to think about OCD as consisting of two parts, obsessions and compulsions, okay? So obsessions um, are thoughts or images um, pictures in our head, but also there can be feelings or urges, okay, that people experience in a very uncontrollable way. They're intrusive. They don't want to have them. And that's at the heart of OCD, not wanting to have those experiences. Um, and these, these, um, obsessions cause distress and, and, and a lot of, uh, difficulties with people's functioning. In response to obsessions, people engage with compulsions. Now, most people think of compulsions as checking doors or washing hands, but that's a very small, restricted definition of what uh, compulsions are. Compulsions is anything that people do over and over again in response to obsessions. So, of course, that can be washing, cleaning, checking, but it can also include repeating rituals, um, hoarding, saving things, uh, making sure that things are just right, just so counting, but also 
mental rituals or mental compulsions. You know, when people are going over something and trying to analyze it in their mind to perhaps seek reassurance or to feel certain about something, um, these are mental mental rituals. Yeah, so that kind of also um, to clarify again something that's kind of not widely out there, we've got OCD, but then we've got another form of that which is Puro, and perhaps you can just define the difference with that for us. So Puro is just another way of defining um, a manifestation of OCD. There isn't such thing as pure O. In other words, um, it's implying that obsessions exist on their own and people do nothing about them. Yeah. But it's not true. As you know in your own experience, yeah. you know, people do have intrusive thoughts, but because we don't see them, literally see people yeah. doing something about them physically or behaviorally, it doesn't mean that in the mind they're not working hard at removing these obsessions, trying not to think about them, which are mental rituals. So yeah. um, in the literature, if you if you go online, you'll find things like pure O or ROCD or HOCD. They're not like different types of OCD. It's just OCD but the content of, of what people think about is defined, you know, whether it's to do with sexual obsessions or harm-related OCD or other forms of, of obsessions. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so before we go into more detail on OCD and how it manifested for Steve and, and also the treatments, um, I just think it'd be really interesting, Costas, just to kind of tell us um, your what is your career history? So you, you know, how did you then specialize in OCD of all the things to specialize in? <laughs> okay, so it's a it's a long career path, so I'm not going to go through the whole thing. But I, I think um, once I qualified in uh, as a doctor in clinical psychology in 1997, I started working uh, in North Manchester General Hospital in in Crumsall, and and one of the things that I did there it was to start an, an OCD clinic. So so I used to see a lot of people who suffer from um, OCD of, of, of varying degrees of severity. And the motivation, the primary motivation behind that was because no one was doing that. <laughs> yeah. No one was actually uh, training or, or delivering clinics for people who are suffering from OCD because um, OCD is not just challenging to, to the individual who, who suffers from it, but also it is challenging to professionals. Yeah. It does require that extra amount of time of training to, to acquire the skills and, and to be able to implement it in an effective way. So I thought that would have been quite a rewarding professional opportunity for me to yeah. start to do that. And then from then on, my, my clinics grew and, and I was able to, to see uh, many more people with yeah. OCD. Yeah. Um, so I sort of first saw you in, oh my gosh, 2004, I think it was. Yeah. Might have that right. Um, and obviously came, was referred to you at the Priory and was put onto your group therapy program. Yeah. Um, and for, sort of to put it into context, I first went to um, Costas in, in kind of year one, was referred immediately to the Priory. Something that we'll talk about in a bit, Steve, is that, mm. you know, the kind of advantage you have if you are really middle class and can get private healthcare and are referred and your GP understands it. That's what happened to me. You know, I picked 
I think everyone with OCD will know, remember the day it started. And um, luckily for me, I picked up the phone and the GP recognised it straight away. I was whizzed through um, to the Priory and I met you straight away. Um, and partway into the journey, you suggested this group therapy. It terrified me, What you know, and I'm sure you'll talk about it. Um, it terrified me. I disappeared, went on my own path for a few years, which made me worse, and then event eventually came back to you and 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 put 110% into it as my last chance. Do you want to just describe at that point what the treatment was like? Yeah, so so I'll, I'll tell you what the, the, the treatment involved then and what is still involved. Yeah. Right? Not much yeah. has changed. But before that, let me let me tell you something which your listeners might be wondering about. Yeah. Why, why treat people uh, with OCD with other people with OCD in a group? Why not go down the traditional route of offering one-to-one? -one? After all, that's that's what most people's ideas of, of therapy is about. Yeah. And it's true. Of Obviously, traditionally, um, we have treated uh, OCD individually, face-to-face, one-to-one. Um, but over time, the notion of treating people together, uh, not because it was just more cost-effective, yeah. but it was more clinically effective, it, it, it actually gained momentum. Yeah. Um, I personally thought, you know, to start with, well, you can't treat people with OCD in groups. You know, they need the attention, the one-to-one -one attention. But actually, I, I was proven to be wrong. I yeah. actually found I didn't that, know that. Um, that when you treat people with other people with OCD in a group, there are things that happen that sometimes don't happen individually or they take quite some time to happen. And you and Steve would be able to, to um, yeah. confer that. Uh, and, and it's almost like the penny dropping moments yeah. happen a lot quicker yeah. because you hear other people trying things out and you think, oh, I didn't do it that way. Yeah. Perhaps I should try it that way and see how it works out for me. Yeah. And I think that's the power of of the group of people who are working yeah. together for a common goal, which is let's get together and if we can help each other, we're helping ourselves as well. Yeah, yeah. So I think I think for me as well, what um, came out of the therapy for me um, was that because OCD is so specific and there's so, a million strains and themes and no one, probably one person has the same, that if there's somebody with something different to you in the group, you can still look at them and go, that's ridiculous. But they're looking at you and going, well, that's ridiculous. And suddenly yeah. you begin to think, oh, well, if I think that's their thoughts are ridiculous, maybe mine are too, in yeah. a way. Yeah. So what I'm going to just do is very, very briefly encapsulate what I went through. I'm, my, I'm not going to be as generous as Steve because I'm not going to go into my detail, but Steve kindly is going to. Um, and I'll give you what I believe, whether my view is clinically right happened to me, but um, I believe I had a low level of anxiety my whole life since being a child that I can recognize now. Um, didn't like going away from home, um, different things like that. Um, really high conscience would confess anything to anyone that would listen. Um, but didn't realize what that was. Um, and then certain events happened and um, it was triggered on one day and I just started with these thoughts and didn't know where they would come from. Now, Costas, you've mentioned that OCD thoughts can, can cross a number of different subjects from violence, harm to others, sexual, religious. Can, and also my understanding is yeah. uh, the subject that would cling on to you is very typically something that is in quite opposition to your character. Because we're going to talk about Steve Thoughts, can you just explain that piece to the yeah, listeners? Yeah, and that's a really important point, Holly, that, you know, when you're in a group setting, 
and you hear other people's obsessions, for instance, thoughts or feelings, you might think, that doesn't bother me. <laughs> or I don't have OCD. Maybe they don't have OCD. Oh, that, that other thought doesn't bother me either. And the reality is that you're only going to be bothered by something that is personally relevant to you. Yeah. So, for instance, if hygiene... Uh, high standards of hygiene are really important to you, then you're going to be troubled by contamination-related thoughts. Okay. Yeah. If you if 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 harm uh, and and if if fear of causing harm to vulnerable people is important to you, the harm-related thoughts, sexual obsessions, for instance, they might trouble you much 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 more really. But one of the the um, key features of of the group setting is that you actually start to realize that. It doesn't matter what we think, whether it's about harm or contamination or things, wanting things to be just right, just so. What matters is the form that they all take, because if you remember, and Steve will remember that, in your, in your groups, um, you all have one common thing, which is the way you experience OCD and you dealt with it, irrespective of what you were what worrying the about. Was. It was irrelevant, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what we change. We don't change what we think because the reality is that what we think is normal. Yeah. We all think things thoughts like that. And some of your listeners might be thinking, really? Even extreme thoughts like sexual obsessions or religious obsessions? Yes, all of them. And there is in, enough research out there to provide evidence that our thoughts, no matter how bizarre or strange might be, they're normal. It's what we do in response to those thoughts that actually can contribute to, to people yeah. developing OCD. Yeah. I think the thing that's also relevant with the group setting is you can't catch OCD. <laughs> yeah. You know, because we deal with that in week one, don't we? Which yeah. is, I'm here, I've got a fear, as mine was, of harming people. No issues with contamination at all. I can't catch that from them. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, from a group setting, there's no danger yeah. in that whatsoever. Yeah. It's like in a minute when you share your story, I would ne- it, those thoughts wouldn't, wouldn't bother me or come to me because that's not my strain so okay and if you can hear a bit of laughter in the background we are sat in a sky um, bar in the inside hotel in Liverpool so there is a little bit of noise in the background um okay so um yeah as I said I'm gonna let Steve kind of share my story through his story I guess so Steve Mm. pre-OCD you're a businessman you're confident yeah all that yeah got the trappings um and I'd retired, I retired very early, 46 years old. Um, so focused on some other charity work, focused, focused on family, traveling. Um, and one of the things I learned as I get to near the OCD journey is that OCD loves a vacuum. <laughs> it certainly and, does. And uh, yeah, I guess I had a bit of a vacuum in my head. Um, I'd had OCD since I was six, seven years old, but sort of more that we might call them the mild forms, the sort of the rattling the doors and sort of the taps, yeah. but nothing debilitating, nothing that really put my you know life on hold as it were. And I managed through um, until we reached the summer, no, the spring. Can I just ask yeah. you, did you think that was OCD or did you just think that's quirk? That's no, just me, no, just the way I, I am. I've always thought I've had OCD, yeah. but actually, I mean, I'm, I'm 60 now. Back when I was six and it was 1968, I, I don't think I would know what OCD was. <laughs> yeah. And in yeah. fact, my parents now go, oh gosh, should we have done something back then? I go, yeah. it wasn't discussed. It yeah. wasn't even really known about, probably. Yeah. Not amongst the populace. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I've always had that horrible phrase, a bit of OCD. <laughs> um, and, but it didn't, it didn't bother me. Um, you know, life was normal. Uh, business was fine. Um, until the 
the spring of 2018 when I'm on holiday with my wife in Southeast Asia and it's like the gates of hell opened. And I had no idea what was going on, none. I actually remember Googling um, the effects on the brain of heat exhaustion. Because <laughs> uh, I was looking for an answer, I'm going, yeah. why, really? Yeah. What's going on? So if I tell you that one, I mean, there are too many to mention here, um, <laughs> but just to give you an example of how extreme it was, and I didn't know it was OCD. Yeah, I that's just thought scary. I was going, going mad. mad. I'm in a toilet in an airport, did what I needed to do. <laughs> I'm stood at the sink and there are two sinks. And in between the two sinks, there was one of those little sort of, I don't know, seven or eight inch squares to put the paper towels in. Yeah. And in walks a little boy. And for some reason, I, in my head, I went, oh, I haven't just put that little boy in the paper towel dispenser, have I? Where did that come from? Yeah. And then, of course, he goes into a sit-down toilet and then I can't see him. I go, oh, gosh, he's really in that dispenser. Um, uh, panic. Yeah. I left and then I hung around outside the toilet. Yeah. Waiting for the little boy to come out. Yeah. And he did, thankfully, went, oh, he's not dead. Yeah. And you go, where did that come from? And I think... No the, idea. The thing, and I just wanted for listeners that are listening and my team are listening in now... If you don't understand OCD, it's so hard to imagine that a perfectly, you know, functioning adult yep. yourself yep. would believe. But I just want to give some context to this. If you're a good person and you genuinely believe that you could have just done that and you, you do, it is absolutely yeah. terrifying. It's horrible. Yeah. I mean, as you mentioned earlier, and as, as Costas pointed out to me when I met Costas on a similar journey to you yeah. the Priory, almost identical, um, <laughs> yeah. it, it, it picks it, the thing that's diametrically opposed to yeah. you. I've, I've never knowingly harmed anybody in my life. Yeah. I've never had a scrap in the playground as a kid. Yeah. Never, never harmed yeah. anybody. And it's, and it's that, it's sort of, it's gone, right, great, you're retired, there's a vacuum in there. Yeah. A bit about purpose and what am I doing? Yeah. And, and it, just, it just went in and it was, and also I didn't know what it was and it was yes. really, really scary. I'm in Anchor Watt doing the, Jane, that's my wife, you just stand there and we've got Anchor Watt in the background and I'm just there with my camera going backwards. And then I go, oh, there's some steps here. What if I've just knocked somebody, oh gosh, and there's a hole just there. What if I've knocked somebody down that wasn't there, down the stairs, and then they've rolled into that pit? So I am then looking down this pit. Yeah. And Jane's going, what are, you, what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm just. So from that point, the, these thoughts, and mm. I can well imagine it like triggered that day in, yeah. the, in the toilet. And were you kind of on the, do you, when did you first tell your wife? Because I know that. On the outside, you can just keep functioning and then... It, it, it literally happened then. Yeah. So it happened every single day, multiple times during that holiday for five weeks. Oh, I wonder. And I remember it, we were in a restaurant one night because my other issue was being in a one-on-one -on -one space with somebody and the fear of have I harmed them yeah. when I leave the space. Yeah. So I'd go into... A, there was one particular time, which was one of the worst ones, went into a toilet, went into a cubicle, nobody in there. Yeah. Uh, go to the toilet, and then as I open the door, I go, I haven't just squashed somebody behind the door, have I? Oh. That was like in the cubicle with me that wasn't. That wasn't there, no. yeah, yeah. And then it's, shut it, oh, all of this going on. Yeah. I then wash my hands, then I go back into the cubicle and go, right, okay, So, and I'm looking around on the floor for a person lying there. Yeah. And 
I went back into the restaurant and I'm sat there with Jane and she goes, what's wrong? I said, I'm about to have a full-on meltdown panic attack. Please, can you go and check the toilet? And she says, for what? I said, can you just check there isn't a body on the floor in the toilet? Mm. At that point, you know you've got a problem. And that happened for five weeks. It did spoil the holiday, needless to say. <laughs> we will go back and do it again. But I came back and then what happened was because I was cycling the, the, um, the Alps, I nearly said the Himalayas then, <laughs> the Alps that September, all of a sudden, I had a purpose again. I was planning routes. I was doing training. I was, and then, do you know what? It all, it just went. And I went, oh, okay. Can I ask you about this point? Mm. You, you told Jane. Yeah, she saw it all. Yeah, so you had. But we didn't know what it was. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. She saw me in bits. She saw me having panic. I, I don't do that. But, but typically what happens there is that people start to develop ideas that they're losing their mind. Mm. Yeah. I'm going crazy, those yeah. sort of things. I'm losing control. Yeah. And and, and, and that's where that's where it actually uh, the, the OCD gains a lot of momentum. And I yeah. think for listeners who might be, um, you know, uh, listening to what Steve was saying before, your experience with Holly, they might think, I can't imagine that ever happening to me. Why would I think that? It might not be relevant to them, but, but the best way to think about OCD is to think about this thing that you don't want to think about at all. Yeah. And imagine that happening to you when you don't expect it to happen and that you can't get rid of those thoughts. And no matter what you do, all the time and effort you spend to get rid of it is not working. Everybody else you're recruiting to help you, all the reassurance seeking from everyone else, from Dr. Google and everyone else <laughs> is not working. Imagine that happening several times a day. Yeah. That's OCD. Well, the thing is, you, you Jane did what's... It's 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 all counterintuitive. She did what she thought yeah. was right. Yeah. She was going, no, no, honestly, it's okay. There isn't anybody there. I've looked out, you know, and, of course, and as we now know, yeah. because we've been on the course, that's reassurance. Yeah. And she's accommodating my OCD. Yeah. And, and actually, it's the worst thing you can do, yeah. as we now know. But I didn't know that. I didn't yeah. even know it was OCD at the time. Yeah. So just flick forward. I, was, yeah. I seemed okay. Yeah. We'd agreed that I would go and see a doctor when I got back. But I went, yeah. actually, Jane, I... You feel okay it now. Like it's gone. Cycled the Alps. Purpose done. Yeah. Oh my God. Back again. Oh yeah. Big, big style. And I got to the point where I couldn't drive. Because um, you thought you'd hit I someone. I thought I was going to kill somebody. Yeah. Every bump in the road was. Have I? I I've driven around the same roads for hours. Um, when I was um, cycling, I was doing a I was doing a big cycle ride with a friend. And um, we got back. I had full-blown OCD. I knew that at this point. And I How did you know? Had you been to a doctor? Right, well, I yeah. flicked forward a little bit. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, I'd seen Costas. I had your route, fully diagnosed OCD, severe OCD. Yeah. And I was in treatment with Costas on the program. Right. But as part of that, yes, I had to cycle my bike. I had to do the exposure. Yeah be a good boy like you're a good girl eventually yeah. and we did our homework so just for pe just yeah. for people that don't re don't yeah. know so you went straight into group therapy so as part of your treatment we do cbt we do mindfulness um and yeah. we do exposure yeah. yeah costas can you just explain exposure to people that wouldn't necessarily know what that means yeah. so exposure it's it's nothing but facing the thing that you fear yeah. facing the triggers that set your OCD uh, off, really. And, uh, uh, but importantly, what, what's important about exposure, because anyone can say to you, you suffer from this fear, this phobia, just face it. Well, we know that, 
but it's what you do whilst you're facing your fears. Can yeah. you actually face your fears, that's the exposure bit, without really attaching any meaning or importance to your thoughts? Yeah. Can you do that without engaging with your thoughts further, without um, you know, uh, carrying out any compulsions or rituals, seeking reassurance or using any safety-seeking behavior, yeah. for instance. Yeah. And that's where, where exposure works. It's not just facing the things you fear and hopefully, eventually, one day, the problem will be dealt with. No, a, lo- a long time will go, will pass, and nothing will change if you just do it without yep. the right strategies and yep. techniques in place. Yep. Yeah. And you both know that. Yeah. yeah. And I think I remember once in the course, because obviously you do what, what's super fashionable now, mindfulness and meditation. We used to do it in a group yep. setting, but of course you used to, I think we used to have to do half an hour on our own every day. And for those, again, that don't really understand it, it's letting the thoughts go through, trying to get the thoughts to go through your mind and not attaching to them. Yeah. And I remember coming into group one day, actually quite angry, saying, you're telling me not to attach to the thoughts and I can't, it's ridiculous. I don't know what you're talking about. I can't do it. But then one by one, as other people were starting to do it, yeah. I remember then coming in one week and I got it. I'm not saying it was a hundred, but yeah. yeah. It really tough. And um, yeah, so with the exposure, again, when I've tried to explain it to people is let's say you are like Steve and you genuinely, genuinely believe you could just knock somebody yeah. down a hole. If the, the behaviors that you would use to cancel out that thought, yeah. like, right, I'll just go and double check and double check. And if you can't, the terror that runs through you when you can't perform those behaviours to convince well, yourself. What, what happens, Holly, is you probably know. If I come back to the, the sort of the cycling and, um, story, I did 80, 80 miles with a friend of mine, and because she was with me, I had that comfort that I do you not know I, I, I haven't hit anybody on my bike. Right. So there was like tacit reassurance. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and, yeah. and actually, when we got to the end of the, because she knew about my OCD, when we got to the end of that bike ride and we were splitting off different ways, she said, brilliant, Steve, well done. I can confirm you haven't hit anybody. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I really, and she meant it. In the kindest way. (laughs) And I'm going, great. Yeah. But you know what then happened? I had one and a half miles to cycle home. It took me three hours because all of a sudden I went, done it. Yeah. And And I wasn't being cocky about it, but I let my guard down. And then all of a sudden it was starting to get a little bit dusk and I thought, oh, I just, and I looked down at something on my bike to just check which gear I was in. And when I was doing that, all of a sudden it was, oh, back when again. I was looking back down there, did yeah. I did I knock somebody in the road? So then you go up and go, no, 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 it's all fine. It's all fine. Yeah. Carry on. And I went, no, I've just got to cycle home. And I, I couldn't. Yeah. Turn around, went back. Then it started because yeah. I did that attach a meaning thing. Yeah. And next thing I know, I'm cycling round because, and then what happens is you probably know, you go, I used to call it my spiral. I now know it's called, it's got a different different name, yeah. but I just went down and down and down. And as I'm checking, even more problems pop up and then I'm checking the checking and checking the checking of the checking. And it just got worse and worse and worse. So much so that what actually happened at the end was when I thought I'd, knock somebody over bearing in mind there's a grass verge then the pavement then there was a drop i actually thought i've knocked somebody over they've fallen over there so i had to go all the way around and then i saw there was a tunnel what it was it was a underneath the road joining two fields where cows walk through to get from one road to the other mm. parked the bike walked across in my shoes across a muddy field and i'm ste- i've got a picture on my phone because if anybody with ocd that's listening to this Look at your phone, you'll see all the pictures of taps and sockets and bits and bobs if that's your thing. So you can check it later. I'm taking a photo of the of the tunnel so I can check it later that there isn't a body there. 
And I go back and then what I then did was I went, right, okay, I've done another 10 miles. I may as well get to 100. Let me use that as an excuse. It's not really OCD, yeah. I'll do 100. Yeah. I got back and my wife was in bits. Yeah. yeah. But the next day I got her to drive back and check the tunnel and she did. And, and yeah. that's what we shouldn't do. Yeah. So you both found um, the detached mindfulness strategies that we yeah. use in the program really, really helpful because what they are intended to do is to challenge something that's quite counterintuitive, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. When people have thoughts they don't want to have, either people focus on the thoughts. Yeah. Why am I having these thoughts? What does it mean? So they worry, they analyze them, or they focus away. They try to push them away. Yeah. But detached mindfulness is, is essentially to learn to let go and, and leave the thoughts alone. Yeah. yeah. And to start it's to hard. relate to them differently, yeah. to respond to them differently. It's hard because to start with, you've got to give up yeah. um, dealing with them, responding to them in the characteristic way that you've learned to do with, yeah. with OCD. But one of the, the, the key goals is to leave it alone. Yeah. Hence the name of um, of the charity, yeah. Astos, which which uh, in Greek stands for to live alone, to yeah. let it go, um, th that Steve set up and and uh, I work for. It's it's hard to do. Uh, people don't have to go on, on meditation retreats for 10 years. Or yeah. whatever. I think right. if they grasp the key concepts yeah. of what it means, and, and it's all about relating differently yeah. to the thoughts, it's this idea that, you know, if the phone rings, yeah. Let you don't need in. to answer it. Yeah. When you have intrusive thoughts, you don't need to uh, uh, react to those thoughts. Yeah. Just let it ring. Eventually, it will stop. It might ring again. Yep. And it will stop again until eventually you learn how to relate differently and, and, yeah. and, and stop attaching that meaning or importance to your thoughts. You no longer start to believe that your thoughts have any importance. So we always love to bring an episode back to all our listeners and there might be people that don't know anything about OCD. So when you talk about mindfulness and meditation, something Jacqueline Gold talked about actually in episode one, if, if people haven't listened to that yet, she um, lives with stage three, four cancer. So she's breast cancer. She's found meditation uh, and mindfulness really useful um, for her health anxiety because obviously this is her second time with cancer. And so to not analyze every single you know, little thing that's wrong with you. She's found mindfulness really helpful for that. So although she's not got OCD, obviously, mm. as a practice, it has helped her with um, health anxiety. Yeah. So I think it's interesting for everybody. Um, so we're going to touch um, on the Astro Clinic um, in a lot more detail shortly. But Steve, so you're what I always call my end-to-end -end journey was kind of five years. Um, so from 2018, when would you say you became OCD-free and how did it eventually happen for you? I became OCD-free November 2018 yeah for the first time yeah yeah um, and what that meant was I did the 12-week program with Costas um, interestingly I couldn't make all of the 12 group sessions and I did nine group sessions but three private ones with Costas so I had a bit of a mix yeah which is quite an interesting sort of little concept and we built a tiny bit of that into sort of what we do now which we'll come on to later yeah. um, so I did the 12-week program and at that point I was in recovery, yeah. but not recovered. Yeah. I then had, I think, three separate sessions with you between the July and the November. Yeah. And in November 2018, out of 40, I scored 0.75. Ooh. I remember it. <laughs> we really went to the quarter of a point um, yeah. and, and Costa said, clinically, you're OCD free. Yeah. And I felt it. Yeah. I really did. Had my life back, started to function again. 
but learnt a lot. Yeah. And learnt a lot about the provision out there. Yeah. Learnt a lot about the lack of provision out yeah. there. And it's at that point I went, I, I need to do something about this. Yeah. I'm retired, I've got the means, I've got some skills. So yeah. I wanted to do something about it. So I started to think about um, what I could do. Um, and, and, and Asto was born sort of in that moment. I didn't know it was called Asto then, yeah. but it is now. Um, roll forward another couple of years and my OCD did come back. And was that during lockdown that that happened? No, it was no. just before lockdown. Right. And, and therefore you go, okay, so, so did the therapy work then? The answer is yes, it did. But then something came back at me. And to this day, I'm still not sure what it is. Not a particular trigger? No, or, not at no. all. No, I think I might have let my guard down a bit. Yeah. I probably didn't do the homework as much as I should have done. Yeah. And also, I, I like to think, because it's nothing personal to me, that perhaps I came off of the drugs because I was on some antidepressants yeah. at the time. Yeah. And I came down uh, the dosage with medical advice. Yeah. Not costuses, I have to say, but through another route. Yeah. And I, I, part of me thinks that, you know what, did I come off that too soon? Yeah. And therefore I didn't have the defences. And the analogy I used at the time was, because when, when it came back the second time, it was actually worse than the first time. Right. And it felt like there was an army of people there all tooled up with wonderful machine guns and what have you. And I, I had a pea shooter. Yeah. And I just couldn't defend myself. Wow. So and that's how it felt. Right. So what then happened was contacted Costas and I saw him privately, reminded me of the practice, reminded me yeah. of the things that we discussed. And quite literally within a matter of weeks, I felt better again. Yeah, yeah. Um, it wasn't a long drawn out set of months, was it Costas? No, 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 but again, no. I stopped driving, I, the, wow. it, it all came back. And that's where I had this very irrational, emotional fear of, have I put babies in the bin? Yeah. And just you you were telling me before, just just again to give a little bit of um, kind of context to our listeners. So you were thinking that you've been overnight, was it putting a baby in a wheelie bin? You were convinced yeah. of it. Yeah, yeah. No, no. I mean, it, and again, where does it come from? I have no yeah. idea. And it started in France. I was on holiday in France and I was putting some rubbish in a bin. And then all of a sudden I went, what if I... What? Have I just put a baby in the bin? Yeah. We didn't have a baby already yeah. in France. Yeah. Um, and there were no babies in my life either at that yeah. point. You know, yeah. my, I, I am now proud grandfather of yeah. two lovely little girls, but yeah. they weren't in my life either at that yeah. point. And that's when it started. The, yeah. the bin obsession. Yeah. And it was babies. Yeah. No idea where it came from. Yeah. And it came back home with me. And as I was sort of telling you before, the worst episode for me was the blue wheelie bin, the sort of the one with the glass, the bottles, the plastic in. I'm there, we live in a converted farmhouse in the porch. I've got it, I've got it all tipped out and I'm scrubbing through this with my wife there and I'm saying, is there a baby in here? Is there a baby in here? And at that point she goes, um, Steve, I, 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 I can't do this. <laughs> From what I know about you, Steve, it, it, in, in many respects, if you were to develop OCD, it's not surprising that you developed the OCD that you did no. because, you know, Steve is a very, very caring human yeah. being. Yeah. Okay? Not, not because he set up Astor as a charity, but separately. Just generally. He's caring, thoughtful. So naturally, he's going to attack those areas, yes. isn't it? He's not going to attack, he's not going to attack areas of perfectionism or, yeah. or other things, but, but it's going to be harm related thoughts. Yeah. And, and referring back to what I said earlier, we need to remember that OCD is like a like a, a, a problem 
that only has one face but several masks. Yes. People sometimes get confused. I don't know if you remember, you both had your OCD changing sometimes. Yes. You felt like a, a different condition, but it isn't. It's yeah. just the OCD changing masks. Yeah. And people get confused thinking, oh, I no longer worry about uh, religious thoughts and yeah. or sexual obsessions. I now yeah. worry about causing harm. Yeah. So I have a different form of OCD. Yeah. No, you haven't. What, what, what hasn't changed is the fact that you still attach too much power and importance yeah. to your thoughts yeah. and the, the beliefs you have about them and what you do in response to that continues to be the same yeah. maybe different yeah. you're not checking doors or windows but you might be checking other things yeah 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 so you went back to costas became ocd free and um interestingly i've never actually been finally uh, we didn't actually do a test at the end. I went, I'm good. Yeah. You, you, you know, yeah. I know. And you know, I think when you recover what you have to yeah. watch, don't you? I think, yeah, um, yeah you, you know the yeah. things that you have to do. So I was discharged by Costas, so two and a half years ago plus. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm, yeah. I'm not his patient now. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> so just to, um, again, so I, as I, as I mentioned, I, I was, I guess, said OCD free um, 11 years ago. That's what sparked me then to set up Make Events. I came off medication. I believe as well, something Steve and I have discussed is, you know, OCD is different to depression. I believe that in year four, I was slightly getting depression because I was so sad. I, I can remember when I first opened up to my boss, AstraZeneca, literally in tears saying, and I couldn't articulate what was wrong with me, but I said, I just didn't expect my life to be like this. I, I This is a waste of a life. Like if my head is going to continue like this for the rest of my life, like I don't want a part of it. And I'm not saying I had suicidal thoughts, but I was so, so, so sad. And that's what eventually got me onto the program. Um, and then when I finished, um, I mean, I didn't see you, I don't think for about five years. And then what happened, I was making some kind of big life decisions that I knew wouldn't trigger OCD, but I knew I needed to work through. And I kind of thought to my, I think I, I've, I've spoke to Costas via Sue, his secretary and said, look, this is about to happen in my life. I think it's probably good if I talk to you because you know my whole history and you understand how my brain works. Um, and then I always like joke, I just can't break up because I come and see Costas, I'd be like six months since, and I haven't had OCD, but I feel for me, it just is that, check in where I am. And actually, I think only a couple of people know this, but um, last September, so I would say I've had nothing for 11 years. And then last September on holiday, it's always happened to me on holiday. I was on holiday and I just suddenly felt weird. And I got back, I don't know if you remember this, and yeah. I, I got, had yeah. this, like, get in, get in touch. I remember this, I was, and I was just, it, this fear that I'd not had for 11 years came over me, is it going to come back? And I was on site for an event that day, like the team wouldn't know, like I just went on site because you're normal, okay. went on site, ran the event, eventually got to speak to you. And I do believe that all those lessons I'd learned 11 years ago just kicked in because I only told one friend at the time who actually was amazing and was like, it's a little bitch, don't give it any airtime. <laughs> just get on. And I remember like lay in bed crying and my partner, because he'd never seen this before. And he said, I just don't know what to do. And I said, you know what I think I have to do? I just have to get up and have my day normally. And I went to Barry's boot camp and I did, you know, and it went within three days. But I wouldn't say the OCD came back. It was almost like everything was going really well for me. And it was like the, the vacuum, yeah. the fear. And you said OCD will look for a window. Yeah. 
I think that's what you said to it's me. It's devious. Yeah. Devious. Yeah. Incredibly yeah. devious. Yeah. So, and to your point, the conversation that yeah. we've had is so I think it's 750,000 people diagnosed with OCD. Is it somebody with OCD is 10 times more likely to potentially take their own life? Have I got the stat right on that? I don't want to say the wrong thing. I think a third of all OCD sufferers suffer with depression. Yeah. I've read that. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, depression and uh, generalised anxiety problems yeah. are the most common problems to, to accompany yeah. OCD. Uh, a lot of people with OCD do have thoughts about being better off dead, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Um, some of them try to, to take their lives because they've had enough. They've fed yeah. up with it because they ha find no way of... Uh, dealing with the problem. The problem has dominated the whole life. There's no quality of life at all. But for, for, for those listeners who are, who are, who are thinking, oh, I have thought, have had thoughts of, of, um, killing myself, committing suicide. It's important to remember, especially in OCD, that just having the thought alone. Yeah. It doesn't mean that you will carry out the actions. Yes. Yeah. You don't have the intent. Yeah. You don't have the intent yeah. or the plans, yeah. really. Clearly, if people do, do have intent and plans, then they should seek yeah. um, urgent uh, help. Yeah. You know, if not their GP, maybe the uh, accident and emergency services, yeah. crisis teams uh, around them. Yeah. It's very yeah. important. Yeah. And I think, um, like anybody resonating, because there will be people resonating with yeah. this. Um, obviously, we'll put in the show no notes that like, way you can get help, especially for Astro, which we will come to in a minute. Um, but yeah, that, so for me, you know, I, I feel very lucky, but I know that I have to watch out and there's certain things that I, I can't do and stuff like that. But um, so yeah, when I recovered, my frustration was that I'd been so lucky to get this treatment. And obviously I understood what the value was because I put it through my private healthcare. And as we talked about before on the course, you know, there was probably 80% of people that you knew would get well, but 20% were maybe not ready and weren't doing, and there's serious homework, isn't there, Costas? And that, that, that is a very accurate statistic. 82% of our Oh, is patients. it? Get me. Yeah, These glasses. <laughs> These glasses I've worn. <laughs> <laughs> it is the glasses. Yeah. <laughs> so 82% improve. The other the other 18%, people do improve, but not to the same extent. And there are different factors that can contribute to yeah. that. And I think you're right. Having the funds to help um, themselves is important, but it's not the only factor. Yeah. Uh, because I've seen over 18 years or so people who have had the funds um, to pay for their own treatment, but it doesn't mean they're going to get better because just turning up, to the uh, group sessions and listening uh, passively, it's not going to get you anywhere. Yeah. You need to actively take responsibility for your treatments. Yeah. Do your homework. In other words, the, 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 the tasks that are set in between sessions yeah. and putting them into practice. Steve said earlier that he was very naughty. He only attended nine out of the 12 <laughs> sessions, but to his credit, he try and make up for it yeah. with some individual sessions. Yeah. I would say to all of our patients um, who participate in the group program, try not to miss any session. Yeah. Try to put things on hold if you can. Yeah. Try to use holiday time yeah. to actually uh, prioritize getting on with things. Yeah because it's crucial really. Yeah. Yeah. And and with employers as well, I had a, a really great boss that I confided in um, and his wife had actually been treated for depression at the Priory, so he got it. And he let me have every Tuesday afternoon off as a sales day. Um, so I think I managed to attend them all, but in my typical style, I turned, I don't know if you remember this, I used to turn up with biscuits for people and things yeah. like <laughs> the event planner. Do, yeah. Yeah. I know. Um, but yeah, so I, I think my frustration was that um, it wasn't ready and available. And I remember thinking if I could get the business 
this. I've like got this written down. Um, if I could get the business to make enough money and we could set up a charity call and make it better and we could fund people's treatment, but I don't know where I thought I'd have the authority, but I could assess who'd have the treatment because I only wanted to give the funds to people that got well. So fast forward to talking to Costas a few months ago and he tells me that he is in a new venture, which basically he's done with Steve that ticks that dream that I had, which is just amazing. So I don't know. It's basically make it better, but with a different name. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so guys, do you want to tell us what you've set up? Well, shall I, shall yeah. I say how it, the whole thing um, yeah. started? Um, so once Steve was, had recovered from his OCD and, um, you know, he went away, I, I heard from him again a few months later and he said, can, can we have a meeting? I want to discuss an idea about improving access to effective treatment. So, so it's not just access because access to treatment, any treatment is not good enough. It has to be the right treatment. Um, so he came to my office and he said, I've got this program that would help us be able to help those who can not fund uh, the treatment and, and or those who can partly fund it. And uh, from then on, I think it, it's become um, Astro Clinics. It did. Yeah. It did. And uh, it, uh, it's been quite a journey. Um, I set up a charity two years ago, which is Asto Clinics Charity Limited, um, but we have a trading subsidiary, which is Asto Clinics. Yeah. So that's the sort of the trading entity of it. And um, Costas left the Priory in April of this year, but we knew, we had, we had some discussions around January, February time. Yeah. And it was like Christmas had arrived. Cause he said, <laughs> Steve, I'm reshaping my working life. Would you like a day of my time? And I just was in seventh heaven. Oh. So not only did I get Costas, we got Costas, we got Sue, who is our program coordinator, who you know who's very amazing. well. Amazing. Yeah. Karen as well, who he was, was my she program. Was your, she yeah. was in your group, she yeah. was in my group, yeah. she's fantastic. And all three. So basically, yeah. the I prior, couldn't do without them. No, yeah. yeah. And Karen, for context, is recovered from OCD, yes, isn't she? Absolutely. And she facilitates the group program yeah. because she's had it and she understands it. It's totally yeah. invaluable. It's, yeah. a, it's a fantastic mix between Costas and Karen, as you know, yeah. you've experienced. Yeah. Yeah. So all of a sudden I had the Priory team, we're <laughs> going to work for us today. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. I mean, it just was superb. And not only that, Sue was then looking after Costas' private clinic and she yeah. said, look, I'm quite happy to do sort of three days work, but over four days. Yeah. So our little charity has got the telephone man between 10 and four, Tuesday to Friday. Yeah. So Amazing. it's not this sort of dial one, dial two, we'll yeah. bring you back eventually. You actually speak to a real person. It's called Sue. Yeah. <laughs> and she's been dealing with patients over the phone yeah. and, and, and face to face. To on, face. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, for 18 years. Yeah. So it was just wonderful. What we had to then, so first of May, we started. Um, and so, yes, it was the usual things that you do in business, the system set up and all the rest of it, which is sort of um, meat and two veg to me. But to be fair to Costas, he went through, you went through a difficult time yourself, didn't you? In terms of it's a huge change to Absolutely. leave the Priory where you've been for 18 years and come and join us still. And it's established and, and it's, everybody knows yeah, it. Exactly. Yeah. So, exactly. so yeah. but, you know, that only took a couple of months to go, okay, so we're all good now. And, and, you know, it's working. And what we basically do is we do the, the program that was run at the Priory virtually. Yeah. So it's 10 people maximum per session and there's 12 sessions. We've made some changes to that, to the original program, um, which are the original program, as you may remember, yeah. used to have what was called a significant other session. Yeah. 
and I wanted to have two of those, yeah. one a bit earlier and one later on. So at week four and week eight, we invite a, a loved one or a partner or a brother or a sister or an uncle to, to, to take part in the session, but without the patients there, so they can understand what's going on. So you do it without the patients yes. there? Yep. So that, didn't, that wasn't in the old yeah, program, was it? it? Well, yeah. would, would you know, it's so weird. Yeah. My mum remembers going and yeah. I don't remember. I think yeah. my head was that far gone at that yeah, point. I can't remember it. I had my own significant other session, that went very well, but it was after week six. And yeah. really, I thought that was a little bit too late. So we now do it at week four and week eight. Mm -hmm. And actually, I think the significant others get their own homework. Yeah. To do as well yeah so yeah. that's a difference the other thing that we've added now is we do three booster sessions because sort of that's what i did yeah i i funded my own sessions. yeah i think i did that as well yeah. actually and yeah that's not an uncommon thing yeah amongst people that have been treated by costas i know others that i've engaged yeah. with yeah. so we're now at month one month two month three there's an hour just for that cohort yeah please come or not yeah and so we've got the first one of those coming up in a couple of weeks time for cohort one yeah so it's the, so we've made a couple of changes and um we attract people through i've got a bit of a google ads campaign going on yeah. there was somebody recently who wrote an article that ended up in the, the mirror i don't know who that that's why it's super particularly busy this week um, but it's things like that it's about getting the word out there and um, we want more channels we want more people to come to us but we only have a finite amount of resource but the resource that we have is incredibly effective. The program is effective. Yeah. It's yeah. making people better. Yeah. And, and the changes we've, lives. we've made recently yeah. with, with uh, another session with significant other yeah. booster sessions, it's all been done to enable us to help more people. Yes. So it's to make sure that people get more out of it. Yeah. You know, the feedback from significant others is that it ha has helped them to know where people are at in the program yeah. and how they can support them. And it could be simple things like going out with people to do their exposure tasks. Yeah. But, but it could be other things like, you know what, let me take care of the shopping yeah. whilst you spend a couple of hours or so yeah. doing this, trying these experiments, these behavioral yeah. experiments. But it has helped. So the feedback we've had so yeah. far, and, and it's all geared towards improving outcomes, yeah. the clinical effectiveness yeah. of, of the program. And I mean, also for your loved ones, the people you live with, your family, it's really, really hard for them because it is so hard for them to understand. You know, to understand. And I'll, you know, I'll, you know, I'll overshare here. But um, I, you know, me and my family are such prudes, and uh, what we like really are. And one time, I was literally so bad. I went to my mum and dad's, and I think it was just before I came back and did the group therapy. And I remember letting my mum bathe me. Like literally, she's not seen me naked since I was probably about. 10. Do you know what I mean? And that's how far gone your head is sometimes. So as a parent to witness your 30 odd year old daughter and you're bathing when she's crying and she looks like she's losing her mind, like that is terrifying. So the treat, it is really important. I've actually had somebody contact me this week who's the father is really struggling to understand it. And I, and I get it. I think my mum and dad sometimes not struggle now, but it, you know, unless you've been there and i'm sure for everybody listening unless you've experienced it it's a really hard illness to relate to which is why it's so important to get the message out there yeah. so let, let's say um at the moment there's somebody that's on the waiting list with the nhs yeah. knows they've got it has tried a treatment run away from it mm -hmm. and by the way this podcast is not to plug asto i've got no i've got no relationship with it other yeah. than knowing you two i'm not um I'm just a success story from Costas. Yeah. So 
somebody is in that situation now, what if they want to speak to you about treatment at ASTO, what is the best thing to do? Okay, so probably the first thing to do would just be to look at our website. Yeah. So that's astoclinics.com. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of information on there. It tells you about the journey. It gives a profile of the people involved, the yeah. trustees of the charity, the clinical team, Sue. Yeah. Um, and at the end, there's a contact form. Mm -hmm. And you can either fill the contact form in. There's also, you could contact uh, Sue, which is sue at astoclinics.com. And there's a telephone number. Yeah. So that's the first thing to do is to have a little look at that. Yeah. Make contact and Sue will be your point of contact. And she's just a delightful Oh, she's person. lovely, yeah. She's absolutely wonderful. We're, we're really blessed to have her on the team. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and, and for anyone suffering um, with OCD, um, to be able to speak to somebody who is empathic and, yeah. Yeah, and understanding, she has yeah. 18 plus years yeah. of... Um, of helping people with OCD yeah. and, and the skills that yep. she has acquired, clinical skills, yeah. um, most people working in mental health um, would not, would yeah. not yeah. do so. So, so it's, it's, an, it's an amazing point of yeah. contact. Absolutely. People shouldn't really uh, feel afraid of that. It, it is somebody who's going to be listening to them, yeah. open-minded and trying to help them yep. if we can. Yes. Yeah. So she does a brief telephone screening. Yeah. Um, to a, to a script that, that Costas has developed so that we capture all of the information. And she also hears not, she hears things that aren't being said. Yes. You know, she, she, she gets behind the story, writes up the telephone screening, sends it to Costas. Yeah. Who then reviews it. And if he thinks that they would, A, do they have OCD from what we can see? And also, would they respond to the group setting? Because there are some, we have some suitability criteria. Yeah. So you need to be 18 plus. Yeah. You need to not have... Um, suicidal intent yeah. or, plans. or plans yeah, and also um, not registered with another sort of so, a, a yeah. clinic of some description whether yeah. it's alcoholism or eating disorder yeah. clinic yeah. Um, and you have to be able to commit to the 12 sessions privately yeah yeah um, so there's four things yeah um, then Costas will assess people yeah um, and then and that's done with a there's a pre-course questionnaire yeah. which is a full clinical diagnostic set of measures. So he has all of that prior to a 45-minute consultation where he does a complete clinical assessment. Yeah. And either they are approved for the course or not. Yeah. Then there's obviously the money conversation. Yeah. Uh, how is it funded? Because we are a charity and there are funds available to help people that don't have the means. Yeah. And we've had everything from people being fully funded through to people being insured. Mm -hmm. We've had somebody on the last cohort um, paid half. Yeah. Yeah. We've also had another charity funding somebody Amazing. on cohort one yeah. as well. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, and that's the slightly confusing bit is yeah. that people go, well, oh gosh, so how I, much is it and can I afford it? I think whilst we can help a lot of people, um, and as Steve put it, you know, a lot of people have uh, contacted us and, and most people have been offered the chance to you know, to be assessed and, and, and considered for, for our program. I think it is important to say that there are certain people who, who, are, who we're not going to be able to help, unfortunately. Yeah. Simply because of the nature of an online charity, a small clinical team. So um, not only people who are experiencing suicidal intent or plans, but there are people, for instance, who might be under the care of the, a crisis team yeah. or a community mental health team or or, or or receiving concurrent treatment for other other problems yeah um, unfortunately we, we are not their first um yeah 
uh, port of call, really. Yeah. Uh, we don't want to give the impression that we're a crisis line. We're a crisis yeah. line. We want to help everyone, but we do help the vast majority of people with with uh, OCD. So I think that's really clear and, and people can obviously find more details. Um, just as well for some context, so I shared um, my, well, a kind of top level of my story and what I believe OCD to be, which got some national press um, back in October, went in the mirror, um, and I shared it amongst my community and, you know, I, I know that people have had a bit of OCD, so they say, but the outpouring was unbelievable. I probably got about 50 individual emails. Um, a few people are already under treatment to Costas. Um, I won't say who they are, which was amazing. We obviously put some people in touch with Asto Clinic, but the phrases that they were using is what hit home to me. So in the eye of the storm, dark thoughts. I thought I was sick. I thought I was insane. I thought I was weird. Um, all these kinds of thoughts. And what I would say is if anybody does want to reach out to me personally, I'm still happy to chat to anybody that needs pointing in the right direction. Um, and also, um, you know, the, again, it's not a plug for Asto in any way, but they are a non-for-profit um, and they are funding it themselves at the moment. Um, Make Events have committed to funding five people's treatment. That is something that you can do, whether it's touched your family and you've got the funds to be able to do that yeah. yourself personally or whether your business would like to support it. Um, like I say, no affiliation to it, but I just wanted to put that out there for Thank you. you. Yeah. Um, so to wrap up the podcast, um, I mean... Costas, you're probably going to hate me saying this. You'll probably make me edit it um, and I'll probably get emotional. But, you know, I think I have to thank you on behalf of me, but also on my fam from my family. Um, you know, we all have a legacy in whatever we do in life. Um, There's a saying I think I've used in the podcast, which is a legacy is every life you've touched. And from me and from my family, like you did genuinely save my life. Honestly, and I think Steve. Yeah, same thing, same thing. I, I, I actually, I wrote Costas an email. I don't know if he remembers. I wrote him an email saying thank you on behalf of me and my family. And I, I then said to myself, Do you know, I'd like to receive an email like that. What must that feel like <laughs> as a human being to touch somebody's life so much? Now the thing is, the guy to my right here is a very humble guy, <laughs> and what he'll be saying is, yes, 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 yes. I might have given you the tools, but you did. I mean, that first. is what you would say. And I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But, Do I sound so repetitive? Yeah, but, okay. but same. You know, anybody I speak to, and I've spoken to two or three of his ex-patients, it's the same story. It changes and saves your life. Yeah. So thank you for me as well. Well, thank, thank you both. And as, as you both know, um, I don't want any repayment. I think all, all that I want is, is what you're already both doing, which is amazing, by communicating yeah. um, the world about what OCD is like, by developing new services that can, people can access help. It's, it's the best you can do. So thank you both for uh, teaming up and, and, and helping <laughs> everyone out there who suffers from it, this yeah. devastating and debilitating condition. Yeah. And to end on a maybe a more happy and positive note, it is called the Anything Is Possible podcast. Mm. Steve, please tell me, it doesn't have to be related to OCD, but what does Anything Is Possible mean to you? Apart from the obvious one of bringing ASTO to people. Yeah. It did seem like an impossible task at one stage, yeah. but isn't. That's actually yeah. happening. Um, my, my sport is cycling. Yeah. I have not managed to get up a particular climb in the Lake District. <laughs> 
that to me is impossible at the moment. <laughs> so I need to lose some weight, get fitter, and then that's what I want to do. Amazing. And uh, if you do, and when you do, when I do, we want do. to. Why don't we do that as students are sponsored yeah, for Astro? I, I, That'd be great. Exactly. So I know it's it's almost trivial in comparison to other things that we, we can talk about, but just on a personal note, that's what I want to do. And the other thing, actually, and it's going to happen in January. Many years ago, I set myself a goal of, should I be fit enough? I'd like to ski with my grandchildren. Yeah. And my eldest grandchild is three. And we're going skiing in January. Oh, amazing. So. Well, in um, the podcast with Train, uh, Train <laughs> with Joan, she says, um, anything is possible means to her, you can try anything. Yes. That is possible. So Costas, new career, new, <laughs> <laughs> new direction. What does anything is possible mean to you? Well, for me, in the context of, of, of why we're here, really, uh, overcoming OCD is not impossible. Yeah. Okay. It might take a little bit of time, but with the right effort, the right help, um, you can achieve that. And I think that, you know, people might be listening to this and thinking, oh, maybe just Holly and Steve managed <laughs> to do that. It is not true, really. We've seen hundreds and hundreds of people manage their OCD, but, but please consider how you're trying to overcome your OCD. Don't waste time on things that are not going to help you, but in fact, it might backfire and make you feel that you're not getting anywhere with it because there is no help. So just try the right way to overcome this problem and it is possible. Yeah. So it is the last episode in the podcast. It is my podcast. So I'm going to say what anything is possible means to me. Um, and I guess the reason for me trying to get this message out there and share this is that if you told 29-year-old Holly um, that she would be sat here with Dr. Costas Papagiorgio talking about recovery with another patient, um, I think she'd have been pretty shocked and wouldn't thought that was possible. So this really is a moment in time for me. And thank you both so much. And I wish you the best of luck with all this. Thank you, Holly. It's very important what you're doing for us to help us. So um, I can't thank you enough. Thank you very thank much. You. Thank you. Just a reminder that the best way you can support the show is to subscribe, leave us a five-star rating and a little review for what you think of our show wherever you listen to your podcasts. It only takes a second and may seem like a small thing, but it helps us rank in the podcast charts, find new listeners and reach even more amazing guests. So with your review, you're actually helping to improve the Anything Is Possible show.